DGFG is proud to present Grabbing the Mic with Nikki Judge and Friends, a podcast with a purpose, where real and raw conversations are had about real-world experiences happening in society on a daily basis. Real talk leading to a greater awareness and understanding in areas of social injustices and marginalized communities, entrepreneurship, gender equality, and empowerment, politics, science, adversity, finding promise, positivity, and inspiration, and so much more. So get comfortable and get ready for great talks and many moments of laughter with Nikki. We have reached February, and many of you are thinking about how to do your taxes. Maybe you're thinking about completing them and filing them on your own this year. Well, Amazon is currently offering TurboTax Deluxe software with federal and state tax returns and federal e-file for $39, which is $20 off the regular price of $59. So click on the links in the podcast episode bio on dogood.feelgreat and grabbing the mic on Instagram or on Facebook at dogoodfeelgreat, or you can find us on the web at dgfgllc.com in the podcast section to take advantage of this special pricing. Hey, everybody. This is Nikki Judge with Grabbing the Mic. And today, my co-host is the wonderful, fabulous Carrie Judge. Hello, everyone. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> uh, today, we are so excited because this is the very first podcast um, with Grabbing the Mic. And we have with us a very special guest that we're super excited to talk with, Portia Birch who is an equity and justice strategist. And we just thought this would be the perfect um, person and topic to talk about. This is Black History Month. It's February the 10th, 2021. And um, Portia, we're just so excited to have you with us. I am so happy to be here. Great. So I was hoping you could kind of kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as what I do, I guess, I don't, I don't know if I can answer that question super easily because I do a lot of things, but about me and what my focus is and being an equity and justice strategist is I really do a lot of education surrounding um, dismantling implicit bias, especially in the workplace and nonprofit organizations, and also dis- excuse me, dismantling white supremacy culture in those same workplaces and those same environments like nonprofit. And it sounds really big, it sounds really intense, but really it just comes down to creating anti-racist where I can. And that just involves finding people that are not of color, so white people essentially, and figuring out where they are in their path of becoming of an anti-racist, excuse me, an anti-racist and then moving them along that path. That's the big picture of what I do. Uh, within that, I also work in abolition, I work in transformative justice, I work in trying to take down the prison industry complex. So that's a lot of what I do. I just really want to make the world a better place, and I find myself in the trenches of doing it. That's, uh, that is quite a lot that you have taken on, and I, <laughs> it's a lot of stuff that I really want to talk about in more in depth, um, especially, uh, you know, the, the trigger words, right? right? White supremacist right. is a big one. Um, and the anti-racist um, sort of call to action that you've taken upon yourself and to like kind of make sort of your life's mission um, uh-huh. is super important. And I know we talked before, but I wanted to touch a little bit on white supremacy in the office and how yeah. it sort of is, um, you know, hidden unless you are looking for it or unless you know what to look for. And right. I would just really love to hear more about that. 
Yeah, white supremacy culture is basically permeated in everything that we do, and it's nothing beyond the fact that this is just a, the world that's been created. It's the world that's been there before we got there, and I say we for people my age, I'll be 42 this year, and anybody older than us or even younger than us. Um, and so the way that that shows up is um, looking for perfection, which just is unattainable, but it is what is embedded in the mind of what is perfect and what is right in the world. It is as simple as jobs that have guidelines surrounding tattoos or um, dress appearance, dress code, piercings, things along those lines. That really shows up in a way because there will be different marginalized communities that can't afford a new wardrobe, so they can't afford the clothes that they need to either apply for a job to begin with, or once they're in the job, then they can't maybe afford to get the clothes that they need to interview for the job they want. We've all heard that saying, right, dress for the job that you want, not for the job that you have. That's pure bullshit because yeah. it shouldn't matter what I'm wearing mm -hmm. or what anybody's wearing, whether or not they can do the job. But that's a culture that's created and that's that culture behind perfectionism, which goes back to white supremacy culture. Um, if you look at any board of directors, it's going to look very, very white. It's going to look very, very male. And that's just what we're used to. We're just used to being told or we're used to understanding or expecting that the culture that is in a workplace, the people that are in charge, the decision makers, the rulers of sorts are white people. And because of that, and because people of color don't see anybody on a board that looks like them, because people of color don't see anybody in positions of quote unquote power that look like them, we get this idea that we can't have those rules. We can't fill those positions. We can't sit on a board. And so we are given this uh, imposter syndrome that is placed upon us by this culture that's been created to keep us othered or to keep us secondary or marginalized. Even though we're being invited into the office, we're not being invited to the table where decisions are made. And that is something that is wildly, wildly, wildly um, prevalent in so many different businesses, whether it's corporate world, whether it's nonprofit world, it's just what's there. And it's because the chance or the the daunting task of breaking that down is not easy to approach, right? If I go into a job and I say, <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of covert racism right now, that is going to make so many people uncomfortable. They're not going to want to talk about it. They're not going to want to address it. It's going to be really, really gross. And so I won't say anything for fear of backlash or I won't say anything for fear of just not being heard or retaliation or any of these things. And so these marginalized communities, black people, brown people, we can even go beyond that with uh, queer people, trans people, all of that. If we don't have what looks like us, if we don't have that representation in the places that matter, then we are stuck in silence unless we make that decision to say something. And that's just kind of where I'm at. I was in a position before where I was out at work. I loved my job. I was out at work. I was in the diversity council. Everybody knew that I'm a big flaming lesbian and that was fine. But I also kept myself kind of in a little bit of a pocket. I was never too out. Um, I never, I didn't really find myself creating these situations for change. I just kind of fell into what was already there. And your standard diversity council that's in the workplaces, we talk about diversity. We have events. You know, we might do ribbon cuttings. We might put together a big, large flag for pride. We might even be the top um, float at a pride parade. But what are we actually doing for the people that are at the front lines?
the people that actually fill those marginalized communities. And so when I left that job and I started doing a lot of independent stuff last year, I started recognizing that there were misses in what I was doing and I didn't like the fact that I had let myself down and I was letting my people down. And then I just decided to get really loud. That's amazing. Thank you. And, and I, I, last time we talked, you know, you had mentioned that you do workshops and stuff in, um, in, Uh you know, different businesses and stuff. I know that you said something about having a four week workshop basically on this exact subject. Um, right. And so how, okay, so my other question is going to be this is that, um, you know, the whole point of, of today, you know, like the theme of today's podcast is really a lot about racism um, and how we can get better. And I know that um, in my workplace, um, heavily male dominated industry um, and heavily straight industry as most are, you know, we're still the minority here. Um, yeah. How important is it to have a diversity committee or, you know, some someone, maybe an HR or whatever, to kind of head something like that up in every company? I think that if a diversity and equity and inclusion, so DEI, if, if you've heard of that before, that's what that stands for. If there is a, a group or an organization like that that is led by a marginalized person or a marginalized group, it's going to do the best work. Um, and I say that because, and this is, I'm going to veer off here, so we're just going to go for a ride. Um, <laughs> Take us there. When yes. When we talk about, when I talk about creating anti-racist, I'm obviously talking about white people because people of color, while we can have prejudice, while we can have different um, levels of privilege amongst our communities, we can't systemically hold anybody else back because of their race being white. Um, So we need white people to become anti-racist, not just disliking racism or saying that racism is bad. That's not enough. We need people to really be in the trenches saying, this is why racism racism is bad. This is what racism has caused. This is what racism continues to do. This is how we're continuing to oppress these different communities. And that has to start within the oppressors. We can't put the responsibility of canceling oppression on the people that have been oppressed. That doesn't make any sense. Um, that being said, when it comes to committees like diversity, equity, inclusion, we need people that have lived these experiences at the forefront because we know exactly what it feels like to be in that position to need a community or to need an organization to make sure that we feel safe. And so it's this really weird sphere of where the responsibility lies and who is responsible for what. So yeah, I do think that they're beneficial, absolutely. But they have to be ran or organized very intentionally so that again, the forefront and the focus is on relieving the oppression of those marginalized communities. And you know, it, it, it's, it's such a tricky situation along the same lines. There's a situation here locally where there is a white professor that wants to teach about um, the lived experiences of black Americans which, as I say that out loud, every time I say it out loud, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard because you can't have a white person <laughs> teach about lived experiences. It's, it's, right, it's, right, it's right. really bad math. Um, and the way he's been fighting it is ridiculous, but that's a story for another time. Um, but there's a very specific time and a place for a white person to lead 
a conversation surrounding racism and how to dismantle it. And it's going to tie into a video that I made that you've both seen, you know, the self-appointed title of allies. And we have a lot of people that are like, yes, I am your ally. Yes, I'm your ally. And I will say this until I'm blue in the face. You don't get to call yourself an ally. And this ties back into the, the diversity council. You do not get to call yourself an ally because you don't know the work that's absolutely needed until you talk to a person from a marginalized community. And when that right. person has told you, yes, you have shown up for me. Yes, you have made sure that I am okay. Yes, you've made sure that I'm protected. And outside of doing that just for me, you've made sure that my counterparts are as well. And you're taking the same lesson to other white people and saying the shit that you've been doing is wrong and unacceptable and heinous. Until you start doing that, do I get to call you my accomplice? Because now I know you're standing next to me and fighting with me as opposed to just saying some words and maybe posting a picture every now and then or some quote from some watered down history of somebody that doesn't do me any good. And so once we have people that have taken the time to learn about the fight, to learn about what people of color have gone through and still continue to go through and can have that conversation without me there typing words into you or thought pieces, then you're not my accomplice. It doesn't mean that you're not doing the work. It doesn't mean that you are not my partner in this, but I can't trust you wholeheartedly. And I think that that's a really big battle for, for white people because you've been taught that by just saying racism is bad, that that's enough. And that's not your fault by any means, right? That's just what you've been taught. Sure, right. But we have this opportunity as we grow and we move throughout this world to find out that what we've been taught is oftentimes bullshit. And then in that moment, there is a time to speak to somebody that you actually do want to support, that you actually do believe needs that support and find out about what actually has happened in their lives, what's actually happening in their lives, what they face every single day. And then as you have that information, that gives you the chance to now figure out, okay, so this is bigger than just somebody being called the N-word. This is something along the lines of this person is not getting promoted because of what they look like. This is somebody that's being sent home because their hair is a certain way. This is somebody that's getting followed in a store because they're black. Those smaller things, the things that we forget about. And so once you have people like that, then yes, let's be to the forefront. Yes, you can run your DEI uh, committee and you can handle that. That's fine. There's just a lot of back work that has to happen first. Yeah, and I think you you had a good point. We kind of talked about it before, and you know, you said it's it's what we've been taught. And mm -hmm. I know me, I'm white. I've always been I've been white for 42 years, and I was raised to be racist. And I I'm pretty sure my parents were raised to be racist. And it is it's mm -hmm. it's almost being racist is part of white culture, in my opinion. You know, it, it, it's <laughs> it, it's it's although we have no culture, but you know what I mean. But it's yes. it, it's part it's part of who we are, really. I mean, my dad, when I was in the third grade, I got married to a little black boy, and he called me the inward Nikki the whole entire time. And then. You know, he'd say things like, oh, the only black man allowed in my house is, is Bill Cosby and that's on the TV. And, you know, and, and, and as you grow up, you know, you find yourself with the same thoughts. You find yourself making the same jokes. And even like we had talked about before, even to this day, you know, I don't think of myself as racist. And but I still sometimes will have these thoughts that creep into my head where I, I, I think something and then I'm like, 
holy shit, where did that even just come from? And why am I even thinking? Like, I don't believe that, but why was that the first thought that came to my head? You know what I mean? So I think, I think that's, that's a good point. And I think white people like to say things like, like my dad who called me the N word Nikki and my, you know, who does all this stuff now is constantly posting. He's not a racist. I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. I, I love Candace Owens and I, and, and I love all these, all these black people that are seem to be pro-Trump and almost seem to be saying that like BLM is not a movement. Those are all the black people that my dad loves now. So right. I think it's, I think it's, it's like you said, it's just, it's who white people are. And I think it's time we stop avoiding that. That's exactly it. And to speak like from a bigger thing, because I, I can sit here and tell you about the work that I do, but I think that um, the work that I do just in my everyday life is just as important. And one of the things that I say to just my white friends is that you are inherently racist because you're white. And I think I said this to you ladies when I talked to you the other day and the way that, that it shakes my white friends to their core at times is, is fascinating to watch because nobody believes that they're inherently racist. But like you said, you were born into a racist family. Your parents were born into a racist family. White people have been racist since the beginning of time. That's just the fact. And knowing that that's the history that you have, as it turns out, we have this beautiful chance to create the history that was created for us. We don't have to stay baked in this idea that racism is okay. And those thoughts that creep into your head that you talk about, that's implicit bias. Again, that's what's been baked into you. You have this bias that's been given to you. You've been taught that black people are bad in some way, fashion, or form. That is what the majority of white people that are our age or older have been taught. Now, yes, that's been shifted around that black people aren't bad, right? We've, we've gotten mostly past that, but there's still the black people are less than or brown people are less than or black people don't deserve or black people shouldn't have. There's still that mindset because that's that baked in racism. That's that baked in implicit bias. And the reason why that's there is because for so many years, white people have the power to stop black and brown people from advancing. They had, they had that, they had the, the systemic racism to stop it. The, you know, the whites only, the blacks only, the not uh, integrating schools, um, all of that, that was a power that was held o- over us and over all people of color. So you take that power away by saying you can't have segregation, <laughs> it's just it's gross, but you know, so that's not legal anymore. So then what happens is the people that don't understand the reason why segregation was taken away is because there at some point was an effort to make it that all men are created equal. The effort has been tried several times. It's just flopped. But because people don't believe that that effort is actually there, they have found a new way to express their racism that can't be done legally, but can be done pretty covertly, sometimes overtly. That's what happens. Right. Just gotten sneakier. Mm-hmm. And I will say till the day I, until the day I die, I would rather have somebody in my face with a hood on so I know who I'm dealing with. Sure. Yeah. Than have somebody smile in my face and saying, God knows what behind my back. The devil you know is always the friendliest one when it comes down to it. You know what I mean? If sure. I know how you feel that I know how you feel right. and I know how to govern myself accordingly when I'm around you to make sure that I'm safe. But if you smile in my face for eight hours a day, meeting possibly a coworker, and I think that we're cool, maybe not friends, but cool. 
and I stumble across something maybe that you post or you say something slick because that happens too. Like something slips out, you just get too comfortable. Then I'm like, I've been sitting here laughing in your face with you for however long to find out this is how you actually feel about me and my people. That's, and that's where we're at. And that's what needs to, that's what needs to be called to attention so it can be addressed. And that's what needs to be stopped. That hidden behind the curtains bullshit. If you're, if you're fucking racist, be racist and just get it out there. Right. Just, just be proud of who you are. Right. And I, I, I think that a lot of that came out during the whole, the, the George Floyd incident, you know, mm-hmm. I would see people that I thought were that thought like me and they were the first ones. I was shocked at how many people turned around and turned it into a, well, no, all lives matter. All lives matter. Well, why, mm-hmm. why is it so hard for you guys to say black lives matter? Like, why is that so hard right now, especially on the heels of what just happened? Why is that so hard for you guys to say? Like, why does it have to, why, why do we have to be included right now? Like our house isn't on fire. So, so mm-hmm. our neighbor's house is on fire. So let's concentrate on putting that fire out. But they just, so many of them couldn't do it. And it was so disheartening to see so many people that I was close to that I thought we shared the same mindset, just simply posting, we'll know all lives matter was just such a kick in the gut. I'm sure to, to black people everywhere, you know, and I'm sure you saw, you had friends that did that. And it was crazy. The all lives matter. It's fascinating to me because first of all, it was never said ever said until black lives matter appeared, right? You've course, never heard anybody chanting all lives matter. It was never because all lives don't matter, right? If, if that were the case, it would have been said forever. And so now this whole black lives matter and the fact that people can't say it and their instant response is no, all lives matter. Okay, that's fantastic. So say that all, so if all lives matter, that means that black lives matter too, right? But it's again, that sense of entitlement that Racist people think that when we say Black Lives Matter, we mean only Black Lives Matter. And that's not it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'd see a lot of people post and they would say, I, and I always speak about my dad because he's probably the most vocal, but he would say like Black Lives Matter is racist. <laughs> saying that they're a racist group because they're not saying all lives matter and we're over here screaming like just say black lives matter because you're racist and that's why you can't so it's just it's just funny how they how they rationalize it or please just for the love of god shut up don't say anything yeah, just shut up it, yeah, yeah. If you don't want to say black it's lives matter free. just shut up <laughs> right, it is right, free right. and it costs no money at all to say nothing right. it is free to shut your mouth and when the I'm watching or I had been watching the impeachment trial today, so the all the footage from the insurgents happened, and I think I said something. I'm like, if you want to see like a pure example in white privilege and a pure example as to why Black Lives Matter exists, is the response as to 100%. how authorities handled, you know, the fact that people were able to actually punch police officers, and the police officer just pushed them off where you have yeah. a young a young black boy that's playing with a toy fucking gun in a park and is killed by a police officer. But the fact that those two very, very different situations happen where everybody could see it, it wasn't even hidden. Tamir Rice, everybody knows that story. Right. And, and the fact that that happened, that young boy's playing in a park, and then you've got grown-ass fucking white men and women that are storming the Capitol building in 2021 like it's the most normal thing to do. And then they throw a fit because the biggest thing that's happened to them is they can't fly. 
but they're all right. still alive to right. tell this story and brag about what they've done and bitch about the things that they've lost. Okay, but what about the lives that oh. have been lost? And that's, that's the correlation. It's like I, I, we shouldn't have to have people continuously die for it to make sense that Black Lives Matter. Grabbing the Mic podcast is a podcast for a purpose. If you would like to donate and spare at least a dollar to worthy causes and organizations selected by our guests, you can do so on Venmo at DGFG underscore one. At the end of each month, we'll divide the total evenly to donate to those in need at the organizations designated by the guests that month. You can learn more about these organizations on the links provided on the DGFGLLC.com website. We will update you at the conclusion of each month on the total received and the amount distributed to those in need. On behalf of DGFG and Grabbing the Mic, we truly appreciate you and your generosity. Right. It's even when you take it back even a little bit further in date with even the protests. You know, you have people of color in the streets. They're protesting. They have signs. They have bandanas on. They don't have any weapons. They're just protesting. Then you mm-hmm. have all of these white guys who, like, all went to Walmart, bought their camouflage getup, and they're all wannabe military suits, and they're all able to go fully fully armed and stand in front of government buildings fully armed and the color of their skin is all that prevented them from from being shot because i guarantee you if you change the color of their skin they would not have allowed them to go in full armor full fatigues full armor and go stand anywhere they would have been killed that's exactly and i think that and i think that that's something else too is that we have to start talking in the words that really matter. They would have been murdered. It would have been a mass they massacre of black people. Right. Right. What happened right. is with the Black Lives Matters protest after Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, of, out of all the protests, and I told you this when we talked the other day, all the protests within the country and within the world, less than 3% turned violent. And out of those 3%, the majority of the violence was caused by white people that had infiltrated the, the protests. Right. So that that's a statistic right there. That's numbers right there. And secondly, the fact that, again, this whole thing happened storming the Capitol fucking building. They wouldn't have even been able to get that close to the building. I mean, you saw the, the lineup of the military and everybody protecting the state capitals. I say that mm-hmm. or state capitals and the Capitol building. Um, and there was like, you know, they must have been seven or eight lines rows of soldiers deep like fully armed fully ready to to you know kill anybody that tried to cross their path and how these insurrectionists because let's not like call them by anything else other than terrorists um you know were able to even get that close it was mind-boggling not only get that close like the military people that were in there or the police officers were taking pictures with them they waved them in taking pictures with them. I mean, it's it's disgusting, disgusting to see. And then the cops that did, that were like, whoa, you know, who are kind of blindsided by it. Well, he died. He died at yeah. the hands of a white guy, you know. There were five deaths we, that day. My, five. Yeah, my my favorite, I, I so I, I too watched the, uh, the trial today and it was um, fascinating, heartbreaking, shocking, you know, with a lot of the footage that we had not seen before. 
Um, you know, one of the things that really strikes me is I, so I did a TikTok. This is how we met. Portia and I and Nikki all met on TikTok. <laughs> That's the day and age and the lives we live. And I'd like it noted on this podcast that I, Nikki, and Portia's favorite. But... Okay. Well, whatever. You keep thinking. Wink. Portia, I'm winking at you, Portia. Um, I like it. Is <laughs> um, <laughs> just the, um, the uh, I lost my train of thought, so thanks for nothing. <laughs> uh, it's you know what it is. It, I think what it is is there's a lot of audacity that's happened, and I was joking with a friend, and I I, I said this a lot often a lot. I strive to have the audacity of a cis het white man, um, because they just have no fear, it, and it's true. But to another, just a view of how different situations are handled. We look at what happened with the insurgents at Capitol Hill. And again, how police officers were taking pictures, how they were actually kind of granting them access, how the one man that basically saved every fucking representative there was a black man that was being called out of his name left and right. All of that happened, and we saw it happen on live TV. That was one of the hardest things I've had to watch. I, I woke up that morning. I was at work. I had I just horrible anxiety all day. I thought I was going to pass out with this feeling, and I didn't know what was going on and turn on the television i start to watch this happen and i'm like at first i'm chuckling i'm like these these idiots are really there like they're there with their trump flags like it's the big thing to do and that that chuckling turned into this crippling fear of holy shit this is this is allowed to happen again in 2021 that they were breaking windows and climbing in and planning to assassinate nancy pelosi and mike pence that's that's terrifying and that happened but what was worse is that I fast forward to Martin Luther King, his day, and in New York City, the NYPD was dispatched to stop people from being at his monument and honoring his memory because the majority of the people there were black. They actually had police officers pushing people back with their batons, with their shields, because they were trying to get close to the monument. And this That's is so two gross. weeks apart. This is two weeks apart. And we still have people that act like they can't understand what the fuck is going on. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, it's I mean, just, it's mind boggling to me that you are, it, it, there's evidence now, you know, for a lot of people, they just couldn't see it. It wasn't happening to them or it wasn't happening around them or it wasn't televised enough. And as we know, anytime a black person is killed by police officers, the first thing that happens is their mugshot comes up, their background comes up, their history comes up. Everything oh, yeah. that they've done potentially wrong in the background, that's at the forefront instead of the fact that they were murdered by the hands of police officers. Whereas we've got very fine people storming the Capitol Hill. But again, it's, it's just, it's seen. We, we've been able to see what's been happening, even in the last month. And there are still people that want to deny that racism is a thing. How the fuck do you do that? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, you know, there's that um, that Riley June Williams from Harrisburg, who was part of the mm. riot. She's the one that stole Pelosi's laptop. She yes. was actually um, released from prison into her mom's charge, basically. Like you can <laughs> you into her mom's custody. Yeah. So her mom would, you know, the judge was like, hey, so, you know, that if we let you, you know, stay at home while we figure all this out, your mom's going to be, you know, on the hook for you if you do anything bad. And I was just mm -hmm. almost, it was almost comical and laughable. Are you fucking serious? Like yeah. 
had that again had that been a black protester at a blm movement who somehow got caught up in something or was you know made you know somebody believed that he that they did something wrong they would not be released to their mother of their own recognizance I, uh, That's the same way too with Kyle Rittenhouse. He, you know, he got l- let out on bail, and he, then they tried to make terms of his probation to not be in a bar and not be affiliated with any white supremacists. Well, then he's seen in a bar with white supremacists, and then now he is. They don't know where, where he's at, and they're saying, "Well, no, it's his lawyer doesn't want his address to be public." because for his own protection but you tell me any black person in america who's who who's murdered two people gets let out on bail and now and now they don't have to report where they lived for their own protection it would never happen never happen it is blatant 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 i mean you can say the word discrimination but that's too small it's blatant racism what's happening and what continues to happen i mean Yes, the people that are being released in their own recognizance. I just listened to, so one of my very good friends just started a podcast and it's called Say Her Name, which is beautiful. And the most recent one was released on Sandra Bland's birthday. And we know Sandra Bland's story. She was pulled over for uh, failure to signal some traffic stop that just obviously turned bad that ended up with her being in jail and then subsequently saying that she committed suicide with that's a lie, but, um, but something as simple as that. So Sandra Bland got pulled over for a traffic violation and ends up dead in the city jail. Kyle Rittenhouse crosses state lines, crosses state lines as a minor with a gun that he can't even purchase on his own, kills two people and is taking pictures with Mike Mandel, the pillow guy. So like, I just, Oh, the pillow guy. Don't get me started on the fucking pillow guy. Yeah. And I think that, <laughs> I think that's why, so last year really drove some things home for me. You know, I, I, I left my full-time job that I'd been at for many, many years. Um, so I was at home and I was able to watch the news all the time. And then of course, you know, the pandemic hit. And so we were starting to shelter in place. And so I was forced to sit still. I was forced to sit in the moment and really kind of observe what was happening around me. And I think that's when I just got to the point of seeing stuff happen too often. And these stories that we talk about, the Sandra Bland story, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown Jr., all of these names I can tell you, they've been happening for years. This is nothing new, right? And it's as horrible, if not worse, every single time it happens. But what's also happened in the last four years because of who was in office is we saw how blatantly different white supremacists and racists are treated. It started when there was the whole uh, incident in uh, South Carolina. No, you know what I'm talking about. The first time that Trump said very good people. Um, Yeah. Where, you know, with the tiki torches and everybody's showing up. And, you know, if we look back to that picture and how those people looked in that picture, and that was at the beginning of his administration, why anybody expected anything to change is beyond me. Again, another another topic. But my point is, is that, I just, I'm tired of seeing this stuff happen. I'm tired of seeing this stuff happen and it being normal. And so at some point for it to change, it has to change somewhere smaller. I'm not gonna be able to, I take it back, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna be able to, in this moment, 
I can't make a big, big scale change, right? I can't go to the White House and trickle it down. I, that's just not where I'm at right now. But what I can do is talk to people that are in positions of power that can start moving it up. We, we have to start moving things up the chain, and we have to recognize where we are. So I have people that are still in what I call Racism 101, and that's completely fine to be there. Racism 101 is where you come to me and you say, I need to do something different. I want to do something different. And you might say 100 things wrong. But as, after the first time I correct you, you don't make that same mistake. You can make 100 different mistakes. I don't care. Because if you're making mistakes, that means that you're trying. You can't do something well until you suck at it. Yes, we have our athletes that have natural born talent, but they still didn't come out of, you know, anybody's womb bouncing a basketball. There is still some sort of like talent that had to be developed. And so that's, I think that's the thing that's been missed or not so much missed, but not cultivated and not given enough attention. The fact that you can still be aware of the fact that you are a racist person because you're a white person. That's, you have to be aware of what you are in order to undo that. You have to be aware of what you were taught incorrectly in order to unlearn it, right? Do you so think one of the big is, issues, sorry, do you think one of the big issues is that white people are just unwilling to say, absolutely. you're right, you're right. Because I, you know, a lot of white people will say, oh, but but I have black friends, but like, like me, I have black friends absolutely. and I'm not racist, but I still have all these ideas. But I'll also admit that I was raised this way and maybe I am a little bit. You know, and I, mm -hmm. but I, but you don't see a lot of white people doing that. You think that's no, it's, a lot it's, of it's uncomfortable. It's a huge problem. It's uncomfortable. It's it's again, you drop that word. There are just certain hot words that you drop them in conversation, and it makes people just run a run away scared. I, of course, I'm not racist. In that statement, I have black friends, or you know, I have black family, or I work with black people, or I do this. That's fantastic, but but that's just being a that's being a decent human being. To like black people is just being a decent person. But in order to unbake that racism that you've been taught, is to never ever have that be your response. First is that I have black friends, outstanding, good for you. I have I have black friends too. That's I mean, there are black people in this world that need friends. So that happens. But you have to be able to make that statement of, yes, I have racism in my history because of how I was raised. But what I don't intend to do is stay a racist. I don't intend to get stuck in these implicit biases. Or if I have them, I'm going to call them out. So like when you had that thought about, you know, seeing a black man with a Harley, I'm like, why does that even happen? The fact that it came to your mind is a huge step. Because you recognize it. You didn't just have that thought and be like, huh, just going about your day, right? That's that's being stuck in where you are. But when you have that thought and it makes you uncomfortable and feel grimy, like, why the fuck am I thinking that? That's right, what it is. It was, that's it. And it, that was exactly my thought process. When you rolled through on this Harley, instantly I was like, well, black people are poor and black people shouldn't ride Harleys. And he probably stole that motorcycle. And then I'm like, holy mm -hmm. crap. You know, but, the, but that's what I was raised is that black people don't make as much money as me there's no way a black person would want a harley that's a white man's motorcycle and then you know well he's got that so he must have stolen it because there's no way he worked for it do you know what i mean like and but then i was like yep. holy cow like that is ridiculous thinking nikki and don't you think that way <laughs> again you know but but like you said i recognized it my thinking you and how skewed it, and it was it yeah yeah and there's no there's no harm in that because I know 
how I was raised. I know exactly where those thoughts came. I can trace it to the person who made me, who brought me up to think that way. You know what I mean? Right. How many, a question, this is a question for, you know, for both of you and just kind of rhetorical even, but for anybody else listening, how many times have you not said something to somebody because you didn't want to say it the wrong way? I don't want to offend you, but. more times than, probably more times than we can count. All the time. Or All you the stop time. and you have to really like think about, okay, how am I going to word this? It was the uh-huh. same way with the whole African-American versus black thing. I would always stop uh-huh. and I wanted to say African-American because I felt like that was correct. So then I'd find myself just not, not address the, oh, this is my, you know, like not addressing it at all because I was too nervous because I didn't want to mess right. it up and then come to find out, you you know, African-American is not the the, the right it's not term. a monolith it's it's not a monolith and and that's where um i would rather somebody or anybody even myself included sit in discomfort if that discomfort means when i come out of it i'm going to have grown and right, right. that is what it people do not like to be uncomfortable of course i mean that's, there's nothing wrong with that being uncomfortable doesn't feel good but from that discomfort from that level of uncomfort, like uncomfortability, from that level of feeling unsure, from that level of, oh my God, am I fucking up, can come from, yes, yes, you probably are fucking up. And that's okay. Because from that, you're going to learn something. So if somebody comes and says something, you know, to you, and they say it the completely wrong way, like, if we take it on a lesbian relationship, and somebody comes up, and like, oh my God, this is so great. Like, which one of you is a man? Oh. Which, God, I hope we don't still hear that, but it still happens. And that can come from somebody that just has no clue how same-sex relationships work. So then you have this chance that you can say, ah, that's not it. So the same thing, if somebody comes to me with some sort of um, bias of, or even some microaggression, like with my hair, oh my God, your hair is so nice. I can't believe it looks that way or something stupid, like just something. I can't even think of anything right now. But, and I tell them, okay, that's not what you want to say or how you want to say it. That person is probably going to be like, oh, fuck, I shouldn't say anything else at all. And my thing is going to say, no, keep talking. Keep talking because you're going to get to that right spot. You're going to get to the right thing. Because I'm going to keep telling you that what you're saying is wrong, but I know where your intent is. And so if the intention, if the intention is to grow, if the intention is to do better, if the intention is to truly become an anti-racist, then I can shoulder that impact of it feeling gross when I hear it. Because I know it's coming from somebody that's just trying to get it right. And those things that are wrong, are starting to, they're going to get less frequent and they're going to get um, less, quote unquote, expected, right? Because that work is being done. But again, we're just going to keep making mistakes. Nobody is perfect. This literally loops back to what I talked about, that perfectionism being baked in white supremacy. Nobody's perfect. Everything's emerging. Everything is changing. There's constantly things that are just showing up differently that we have to approach and acknowledge differently. And so that means that we're constantly learning. We are constantly learning. And that's one of the most beautiful things in the world, to keep learning about something that we didn't know and to keep getting better at it and improving on it, improving on it and then watching other people do the same thing. We have to unlearn everything that we were taught. And that takes work. That takes nasty work. It takes uncomfortable work. It takes stressful work. It takes painful work. But when you get to that moment where it's like, oh, my God, I, I get it. I get it. I don't get it all the way, but I get it right now. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I've seen it happen. So it's one of those things that I'm not just talking on my ass. I know it can actually happen. And it's fantastic. 
And I think that it's just a matter of getting people past that feeling of being uncomfortable and understanding that that's just, it's a temporary feeling. You're not going to feel uncomfortable forever. You're going to feel better and you're going to feel really good about what you've learned and what you're now able to teach other people. Hi guys, it's Nikki. I hope you're enjoying our conversation so far with Portia Birch. Tune in next week to hear the remainder of our talk with Portia. And thanks so much for listening to our first official episode. Ever thought to yourself, wow, I should really do something for myself. It's time to make yourself and your well-being a priority. So to celebrate the launch of Do Good, Feel Great, we're offering a special pricing through May 31st, 2021. Our life coaching sessions are completely virtual, where you'll work together with your life coach to focus on areas you feel you want to change. This could include areas like education, career, relationships, and more. For a single session, you'll receive $15 off, and for a group package of four sessions, you'll receive $20 off an already reduced price. Email us today at dgfginfo at gmail.com. Again, that's dgfginfo at gmail.com to schedule a free 30-minute consultation and take that first step in setting your path forward.